All right, Exodus chapter 12, Exodus chapter 12, uh, we have the story of the Passover Institute. It's, it's sort of like t- this text is the July 4th, 1776, if you would, for the nation of Israel. They have been gathering together, they have been growing in Egypt, and now they're going to become a nation. And so tonight, really, we would see a, a bit of that starting in 12.1. If you're following along, Exodus chapter 12. Verse 1, Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. If you would there, please, following along online, welcome to our evening service, Little Sandy Baptist Church, 3569 State Route 3307, Greenup, Kentucky. We invited to worship with us in person. If you live locally, 6 o'clock on Sunday nights, 10 and 11 on Sunday mornings, Wednesday at 7. We have Exodus 12, the Passover instituted, and the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to his house of their fathers, a lamb of foreign house. And if the household be too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor uh, next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your, your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out of the sh- from the sheep or from the goats, and ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat, and they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire his head with the with his legs and the pertinence, which is the entrails thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and with your staff in your hand. And ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord." And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. A Lord's blessing to the reading of his word. When I see the blood, I will pass. I will pass over you. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for the blood of Christ that has cleanses yet from sin even today. And will eternity be a reminder of the price paid at Calvary. Pictured so poignantly here in the book of Exodus, the first Passover. Lord, we just thank you so much for Christ, the Passover lamb. Help us this evening as we look into your word to learn, to grow, to be challenged, convicted. Whatever the spirit would choose to do, may we be listening to your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This really, if you notice, these two chapters, 12 and 13, sort of go together. Uh, they are working <clears throat> regarding the Passover to come. And so all this puts together make, really makes... To give two chapters to something is quite a, a, a important part. So we have here, this is the nation of Israel is coming together. McGee uh, comments, J. Vernon McGee, that when Israel entered Egypt, it was a family, and when they're going to exit, is a nation. So the Lord has taken the families during all this difficult time with getting the straw, and he's built the nation brick, brick by brick, if you would, through the families. It is the families have come together, working together, and the nation of Israel has gotten strong. Matter of fact, they probably could have overthrown Egypt had they wanted. I'm just guessing. The number of, of, of Israelites. Matter of fact, Egypt was so scared they started killing the baby boys so they wouldn't happen. 
it was there's an old cliche that says no nation is stronger than the families of that nation. And that is so true even today, I believe. As our families go, so goes America, so goes other nations, etc. So we see, first of all, if you're jotting down notes, uh, there's three MCs. The month is changed, or maybe perhaps realigned. First of all, we see the month in chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, he says, the Lord says unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt. Verse 2, this month shall be the beginning of months. Interesting, Spurgeon says that the commence of a nation's annals from the evangelization began the chronicle of a people from the day when the bow bow to feet when they bow at the feet of Christ. That's when the nation really starts. And so Israel has been down there, they've been slaves, and now they're going to be God's chosen people. They were God's chosen people. Now they're going to act like it and serve as the nation. Would it have been so if they had now received Christ? Can you imagine the difference if Israel had trusted Christ as the Messiah and, and, and they, are, they are serving him even today? Wouldn't that be amazing? Interesting, that isn't worth noting that on this 14th of Nisan or Abib, around 3,230 years ago, there was a full moon shining down upon Egypt when God went through Egypt at midnight and every firstborn male died. And this is the same night and the same moon which shone down on Jesus, this person writes, and his disciples about 1,970 years ago as they observed the Last Supper. And so... God is a God of order, etc. And so they're going to leave. The moon is shining, etc. Um, Campbell Morgan says, God had redeemed his people from slavery. The dawn of their new year was ever to be radiant with the glory of his bringing them forth from cruel bondage. So this month, you might think of it like this. It changed the emphasis. We changed the emphasis of 9-11. Uh, September uh, 11 now is really an important date. Uh, December the 7th is an important date in our, in our annals of our history. Uh, different dates, we did some significant things that are to be remembered. We even have like Veterans Day now. We have July 4th. We have other things that are significant in our history. This Passover really is going to be so significant going to be immoralized, immor- memorialized, if you would. So with the, only the month, there's the meaning, verse 12, 2, 12, 2, it shall be the first month of the year for you. It's the beginning of months. The Hebrew word there is rosh. It means head, literally from 12, 9. It's the, ha- the head of the household, metaphorically, if you would. Uh, the heads of the household working together. It might be read, the head of the months for you. So it's going to be so important. This thing is going to happen here this evening. The Passover is going to be started. The Septuagint renders it, now that's the Greek uh, translation of the Hebrew Old Testament 250 B.C. with a word that signifies the beginning of anything and speaks of the commencement of something as an action, a process, or a state of being. Really, this is the beginning, the birth of a nation, if you would, is right here on this night. Now, why would you say the birth of a nation? They go in as Joseph, Jacob's family. They've grown, but they've been under subjugation. They've been slaves, etc. Now they're going to have... Their own nation, if you would. A new beginning for the Israelites. And bound them tough together as a nation. When the Lord liberates you, says, Where's be you from bondage? It is the dawning of a new day and the beginning of a new life. When we are redeemed, we are changed from the inside out. Interestingly enough, in the, in the Roman world, there was an estimated 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. So, Romans took so many people as slaves and made them slaves. Here's going to be the Jewish slaves in Egypt are going to be redeemed, if you would, and set free. 
They had two calendars, one man has said also that there's a civil calendar and a religious calendar, and this is going to be the beginning of the religious calendar, if you would. The civil calendar begins with Rosh Hashanah, if you would, the beginning of the year, fell in the seventh month, and ushered in special events uh, in the month of Tishri's, etc. But the Passover now is going to mark the beginning of the religious year, and how important is that? We we ask you, how long have you been saved? Almost more important than how long you've been alive is how long have you known Christ as personal Savior. Can you go back to that birthday? It's when I was six years old, yes. Not the, I remember the exact day. Uh, it was a Sunday night, for, or I'm sorry, midweek. And I'm not sure exactly the day of the year, but I know where I was and when I received Christ as my personal Savior. That's so important. I was in Millersburg, Ohio when I was born into the world. I was in Sayersville, Kentucky when I was reborn in Christ. And so such an important day. This is going to be so important to the Israelites. So the month has changed, or perhaps realigned, if you want to say it that way. Secondly, the method is characterized, and we see a selection in 3 and 4. Speak ye unto all the congregations of Israel, saying, In the tenth month day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers a lamb for an house if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of their souls. The souls, every man according to his eating, shall make your account for the lamb. The meal was prepared for the entire family. They're all going to be involved. God's concerned for the entire family and not just for the parents and not even just for those who are going to slit the throat of the lamb. It's, they're all going to be involved. And later on in verse 6, you're going to see the whole entire nation of Israel is going to be involved in this. They're going to be, to, to be delivered, the young children, the old, the senior adults, etc., Though there were so many Israelite households in the land of Goshen, God saw them all as really one congregation there in verse 6. It says for us, and ye shall keep it up until the 14th day of the month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. So God's putting them all together. He's going to redeem the nation, not just individuals. He's, he's going to, the blood's going to be shed for all. Christ is going to give his life for all. Not only was it an ordinance to be obeyed, but it was also a memorial to celebrate, to keep alive in Israel. The story of the Exodus, and how many times do we go back and, and we'll retell a story from the past, and, and, and we have just a very few of those, but my wife will tell me stories, and I'll say, I don't even remember those things happening, and then my memory starts jogging around, oh, it was something, by the way, it was something I wanted to forget, <laughs> I don't remember those things. Anyway, do you remember you did that? No. Oh, no, maybe I did do that. And so, but they're going to remember these things about the night of the Passover when God redeemed them. Years, in later years, the Orthodox Jews, and look just at 13, 8, and 9, the Orthodox Jews took this very literally, 13, 8, and thou shalt show thy son in the day, saying, This is done because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt, and it shall be a sign unto thee upon thine hand, and for a memorial between thine eyes, and the Lord's law may be in thy mouth, for with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. So later on, they developed the phylacteries, phylacteries which means a prayer case. And so they may, you might have seen it even today. You might see it between their eyes, the phylactery, or on their hands there. God's word is in there, a part of the Torah, if you might say. And so they put that in there as just a reminder for them. They took it so literally there, they started doing that. Uh, and speaking to all the congregation in three, the tenth day, it was a divine appointment. It was, this was not man's idea. If man had chosen how they wanted to be delivered, I imagine they would have said, bring in an army from, from another country and destroy the Egyptians, and we'll just take over all the... It wasn't like that. That was not... God's plan was this. Someone, some things had to die. Blood had to be shed. 
God did not appoint a number of ways of escape, but only the appointed the lamb as, or goat as the way of deliverance. You know, if Moses had said, okay, th- number one, you can kill a goat or a lamb. Number two, you can give $10,000. Number three, you can buy me five new chariots. Number four, you can jump up and down for five minutes. Number, f- It wasn't like that at all. It was like, this is the one thing that's going to work. The same we offer today. It is by one man. By Christ, he is the way, truth, and life, the same as yet today. There are not a multiplicity of ways to heaven. By the way, it is God's dwelling place, and God says who gets in there and what is the criteria for entering in. Perhaps you build you a $10 million mansion here in Greenup or Boyd or Sauda Counties, and you want to start giving tours. But the only way you can go through your beautiful, pristinely clean mansion is to have... Wear socks or bare feet because you walk, the shoes bring in so much mud. And so a person comes up and, and, and Pastor, Pastor Tim comes up and you say, well, I want to go through. I want to go through, Mr. Budney. I want to go through your $10 million mansion. That's fine, but you got to take your shoes off. You're going in. Well, who gives you the right? It's my place. So I can, I can make the rules. And so many people think heaven is just some ethereal place that they can choose themselves to determine how or when they're going to go or who's going to go. It is not so. God has ordained, etc., the way it is through Christ. Apostate preachers lead multitudes to hell through preaching another gospel than the gospel of Christ. For there is only one way, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I was listening to a podcast called the Just Thinking Podcast, and this is over three hours, this one. But one of the little points on there was, we think today, so many churches think today, they can bring the lost to the light, and then they turn the light off when the lost get there. See, this is it. This is the salvation message. What you win them with, you must keep them with. If we're going to start having all kinds of uh, shebangs and, and music that attracts the younger, the younger, the older, whatever group you want to try to attack, attract, if they come, they're going to want to hear that every week. If I'm going to have a stand-up comedian, Christian comedian, and people come to flock in to hear that, well, then next week they're going to want to hear another stand-up Christian comedian. They're going to flock in to hear that. And you see what I'm saying? That We must keep the emphasis is the Word of God. That doesn't mean we try to be dry and crusty and all those things and, and unkind. It simply means the focus of our church, as it has been since the beginning, is the Word of God. And may it continue to be that. They shall take to them every man a lamb, the provision of a lamb. Every man must take... For the household, for protection from the slaying of the firstborn, there is none exempted. Did Moses have to put the blood on his lentils? I think so. Absolutely. He, he was not exempt. From the head man on down, they all were in need of the shed blood of the lamb upon the doorpost to keep the firstborn from being slain. In like manner, we across the world need the shed blood of Christ to forgive us of our sins for our soul's protection. It makes no difference who the person is. It makes no difference what status they are, their nationality, their ethnicity, how much money they have or don't have, or their position in society, or what occupies their minds, etc., or what occupies their lives. Interesting, I just heard this week of a, a man who went to a park in New York City, just listening yesterday, and he went in for a, a, two weeks ago. He went to a park, and they have all these benches. He said, but I can tell you the truth. 
There was not one bench in the entire park that did not have a homeless person either camped on the bench, sleeping on the bench, or sitting on the bench and occupying the entire bench. There was no place for us to even sit down, for me to sit down on any bench in the entire park because they were occupied. God loves that homeless person as much as he loves you and I. He does. He does. And only by the grace of God there go you and I. Only by God's grace are we here even in this service tonight. So God's presenting the, the MO, the modus operandi, by which he's going to save individuals. No one is saved because a member is a member of a nation or a family. For example, the Philippian jailer and the salvation to his household is told in the book of Acts, chapter 16. His family was not saved because the jailer believed. They had to each one believe for themselves. That's not teaching infant baptism. It's teaching that each one, the family, as they heard the gospel, they responded, but they had to for themselves. That's the truth. Each member has to exhibit faith. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house does not mean that if you believe, your family is going to be saved. For your family will have to believe Christ for themselves and turn receive him. Each one had to participate and partake in it in order to come under the protection. The father of the household or whoever was head of the household had to kill the lamb and put the blood on the doorpost to cover everyone inside. No one was, I don't think I, I don't think I have to do that. Yes, you do. Selection, the method of, is characterized by selection and then separation in five. Your lamb, your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year, you shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and ye shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. Perhaps that was someone's, perhaps they were poor and they had but one lamb. Perhaps they even had it named. And so, uh, uh, I, I, I mean, it was a favorite lamb of the household. And it was chosen, examined from the 10th day to the 14th day, watched, make sure that it was the divine specification there. And there was interesting, the beautiful typology, the sinlessness of Christ without blemish, the sonship of Christ. It was a male, not a female. God specified a male. Also speaks of Christ as the, the son of God. And God is a masculine. He's not the mother, God, mother, etc. Or any of those things. The Bible is quite clear. We have so muddied the water our culture has of the difference between man and woman. It's a beautiful thing that how God made man and woman to complement one another. And yet we so perverted, changed all those different things that mindset in our own cultural uh, change. When Christ was born, the Bible says, she, Mary, brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. So our Savior was a man. He was, he was masculine. He was male. He was a, a manly man, if you would. The strength of Christ, the lamb, was to be the first year. The, man, the lamb was in the prime of life, not some old, worn-out, 15-year-old sheep that was grouchy like a 15-year-old cat. No, this was a first-year lamb in the, in the prime of life. Interesting, the psalmist says regarding Christ dying in the, the midst of my days, 33 years old, that Christ died right in the prime of life, if you would. He was only one, only, only one, only in his thirties. What a sacrifice he gave for us! So it's a selection, a separation, and that leads us right into six: a sacrifice. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. The date of the slaying of the Lamb of Egypt was incorporated into the Passover celebration. Christ, of course, was the, the fulfillment of the Paschal Lamb. And I always wonder about Paschal, P-A-S-C-H-A-L. It simply refers to Jewish Passover or Easter. So the paschal lamb, he was that for us. 
Pink says, study the closing chapters of each of the Gospels and it will be seen that the Lamb was God, of God died at the very time that the Paschal Lambs were being slain in the temple. The typology is beautiful, pictured perfect. It was. Christ dying for us. Matter of fact, it was so powerful that in Acts 7, that a great company of priests were obedient to the faith. The killing of the lamb was in the evening. Now, some ancient rabbis taught that the, sac- the Jews were to sacrifice the Passover lamb exactly at sunset. But the idea between evening is really would pretty much would be this. The more widely held, the first evening after noon, after the time of noon, and the second began and when the sun began to set. So you have mm, from 1201 to the setting of the sun. That would be somewhere in that time frame that were to kill the lamb. Christ died, as you well know, at about 3 p.m. on that terrible day. On the 14th day of the month, at the evening, the lamb was slain, and the bubs applied to the lentils and the doorposts. And when the, when the destroyer comes next Sunday evening, he's going to pass over. It was the life of the lamb. No, it was the death of the lamb that said, save the people without shedding of blood is no remission. It was simply not, we're going to find a lamb and then treat him really nice and, and, and make him the, you know, the king of the household. No, he's going to have to die. And I believe it was the head of the household had to kill the lamb himself. Now, some claim that they admire the life and teachings of Jesus, but they don't want the cross. Yet his death on the cross is what paid the redemption. If we don't have the cross, we have no salvation. You understand it, I'm sure. He was our substitute. He died in our place for us. We hasten to add that to be effective, though the blood has to be applied to the doorpost as God has promised. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Isn't it sufficient simply to know that Christ was sacrificed? And there are many today who simply have the head knowledge that Jesus did these things, but they don't have that relationship. I am crucified with Christ, Paul said. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Charles Wesley penned part of the beautiful hymn in 1780. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free, captive free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. It's interesting, again, back in verse 6, that for not every single individual had to take the knife and to slit the throat, if that's how they did it, and to shed the blood of the lamb. It was the one person did it, but they all were covered. They were all, for it's the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel killed the lamb. Isn't that, as we look into the Passover when Christ died, it was the nation of Israel. Matter of fact, you and I, we all together in agreement, if you would, we are the ones who killed the Savior. We are the ones who are going to be held accountable, and we are the ones who also can be redeemed by his shed blood on the cross. So it was the entire Israel, just because one did it, it meant the whole household were involved, if you would. He was the... Matter of fact, when Adam and Eve sinned, Adam was the, was the head of the whole human race. So because of that one sin, that one time, we all have been born with that sin nature. So there's the method is characterized, selection, separation, sacrifice, and specifics in verse 8. And then shall they eat the flesh in the night, roast with fire, unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs shall they eat it. God was very specific how they wanted to eat this meal. It was roasted and eaten and eaten with done in haste. Each family was prepared to move. They had their robes girded up. 
They had their staff in hand. Can you imagine now trying to eat your 12-pound cabbage with a staff in your hand? It'd be kind of difficult there, trying to bounce it around here. Well, it's so big. Maybe I should be like pastor and grow them a little bit smaller so they're able to be more manageable. There we go. I don't even raise cabbage, so there we are. And the bitter herbs, why bitter herbs? So they were, now remember, different times they're going to find out in the book of Exodus, they wanted, let's go back to Egypt. Let's go. And the leeks and the garlics, it was so, have you forgotten how bad it was there, being whipped and tormented? That's why we have bitter herbs. Just remember, oh man, it wasn't as good. The good old days where perhaps they weren't quite as good as we remembered them to be. Perhaps they were. The bread was unleavened without yeast for two reasons. It wouldn't, there was no time for it to rise. And second, the leaven is always a symbol of impurity, of sin, how it gets into the, our lives. For the week of Passover, they were required for a whole week, no leaven in the bread. Yes, yeast is an image of sin. It is hidden, and it's secretly and silently working. That's the picture of the leaven, so we don't want that. And the dough causes, uh, also causes the dough to rise, to be puffed up. Pride is such a rampant sin in, in the, across the world today. You find then that false teaching is even compared to yeast and leaven. Hypocrisy, sinful living. So not to be a part of that. Eat not, verse 9, eat not of it raw, nor sodden with, at all with water, but roast with fire its head and with its legs and with the pertinence, pertinence, I guess, thereof, or entrails of a sacrificial animal. In order for the land to be kept whole, I never thought about this until studying, preparing for this, really. It was roasted in fire. If you boiled the lamb in water, it's going to all fall apart, etc. That's not the idea. It's the whole, keep it whole. And they probably didn't have vessels large enough even maybe to roast the lamb and boil it in water, etc. But it's forbidden. The bones would have to have been broken. The meat and the cooking would be separated from the bones. Now remember, it's a picture of our Savior. No bones broken on the cross. Altogether, the wholeness of the lamb, that was the idea, the picture here and the sacrifice that God has ordained, the roast it all at once. We trust Christ that we might be saved from our sin by sacrifice, but we must also feed on Christ in order to have the strength. We must meditate. We must have our personal quiet time. We must read from God's word. Allow the spirit to convict our hearts. So not only do we have the whole, but we have to partake of what has been sacrificed and given. Verse 10, you shall add nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth in the morning shall be burnt with fire. The sacrificial lamb was not killed in order to be looked at only, but to be eaten. And our Lord has not been slain merely that we may hear about him and talk about him and think about him. But Spurgeon says that we may feed upon him. Not trying to be gross, but that's, that's what we may learn from. He is the word, is he not? In the beginning was the word, as we're feeding on him. And verse 11, thus shall you eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. I remember when we went to Tennessee Temple, we had about, I'm thinking, 11, maybe it's 15 minutes. We went at 6 o'clock or 5 o'clock, and then they had, took about three minutes to sing the song, have prayer. We sat down, got the food passed. About 18 or 20 after, they stopped and did the announcements, and you could leave after that. So we were conditioned to eat on about 15 minutes. So we ate 15 minutes because we want to be done and get out of there when they started the announcements. And so that's it carried over, probably still carrying over today in our lives, but we just eat, eat quickly and be done with it and go on from there. And so, the, you know, not so much here. The staff in your hand, be ready. Eat quickly because 
You're going to be leaving. The need to be on the move. Have your loins girt about, tucked up under your belt of your robe. Be ready to go. Vernon McGee says, friend, when you come to Christ, you should have your loins girded and be ready to get out of the world and no longer be involved in it. I do not believe that you can be converted and continue living in a sinful life. This does not mean that you will not sin occasionally, but it does mean that you will not make a habit of living in a pattern of sin. You will get out of Egypt if the blood has been put on your doorpost. You are to eat the sacrificial lamb with your loins girt about, ready to go. A, a message needed for today that when we receive Christ, we are to leave the world behind. You've done an about face. You have been changed, completely changed. The, mouth, the month has changed. The method is characterized. And finally, the mercy is corporate, verse 12 and 13. And we see this. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast. He regarded Israel as his firstborn, his favorite people. If Egypt refused to leave, let go, the people of Israel, well, then their firstborn are going to have to suffer. Not only deaths, but deities. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. We hear even today about how many, uh, if you any kind of uh, historical, archaeological show, they have the gods of Egypt and how they've been revered and how they were so powerful, etc. Listen, they're nothing, they're nothing really. God is the one. So all these things you've been putting your faith in, probably a lot of demonic uh, inspiration behind the gods of Egypt, uh, uh, is God's over all of those. So they're all going to be taken care of. Are going to be shown to be worth less. Most of the animals that suffered under the plagues, included uh, the, the, the tenth plague, were worshipped by the Egyptian gods. God is going to be known. I am the Lord, he says for us there in that one verse. I am the Lord. And not only the deaths and deities, but finally the deliverance in 13. Moses stretched, uh, well, I'm sorry, chapter 12, verse 13. Uh, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. You say, well, pastor, was, were, how about the Israelites who perhaps it doesn't say here, who thought about not putting the blood on the doorpost? They're going to die. I mean, this is the criteria. You must shed the blood, and sprinkle here. And even though you are a Jewish person, it doesn't mean you have a free pass just because you're a Jewish person. You must have the shed blood applied to the doorposts. And the same is today. I like what one man says, the Passover is not primarily about the deliverance of Israel out of Egypt, nor is it mainly about the humiliation of Pharaoh in Egypt. Rather, its essential purpose is the glorification and exaltation of Yahweh. It is Yahweh's Passover. God, who provides the Passover for his people, it is God who's provided the answer for mankind in the person of Christ. The blood, it was a sign pointing to the family within the house as protected from the plague. Don't miss the truth. It was not a sign for Pharaoh, but for you, the Israelites, and the sign was a manifestation of God's marvelous grace, that he would preserve you. You've been through a lot, yes, but he's going to preserve you. An unconditional covenant, if you would. Remember that, given to Abraham, God is going to maintain and keep his promises. The prominent thing that God was looking for in the deliverance of Israel was the blood. Nothing mattered so much as the blood of the Lamb. 
And so that's why without shedding of blood, we understand there is no remission. You cannot bypass it. If you could do good works or do all these different things or simply work, spend two years of your life on a missionary tour and give those two years or give all these things or, or live a good moral life, that doesn't cut it. You must have the blood applied to your life. In every age, there always seems to be those who have opposed the importance of the blood. Some have even would call us of the slaughterhouse religion where we believe that blood must be shed. But it is true from back from the Garden of Eden when they sinned. But it is the lack of the attention to the blood that leads the individual to a rejection of the one true way of salvation. This is what we have, the truth of God's word. Otherwise, we are just like the other Millions and millions, it seems, of bloggers and TikTokers and YouTubers and Facebookers and all these different things. Listen, this is the truth that we have. This is why we stop. This is why we, have a, we call your attention to the passage of Scripture. That is what we have at church. We have the teaching of God's Word, what He has said. Abundantly clear. The Passover time was God's blessing upon Israel. It's His Passover And may we share that good news with others that he will pass over them as well when they give their heart and life to Christ. Let us pray. Lord, we just thank you this evening for this wonderful truth of the blood that was shed, first of all, for Israelites there back in Egypt, placed over the doorpost. And when you saw that blood, you passed over. And Lord, when you look at us as your children, even right now where we're seated in this auditorium, for those who receive Christ as personal Savior, your blood has been uh, applied, imputed to our account, and you see us just as if we had never sinned when you see us through the blood of your Son. So Lord, we are thankful for that truth that applies even to us in the year 2022. Lord, we are 2,000, we are much about... 3,000 years approximately removed. I'm getting maybe 3,500 years removed from this point in time in history, and yet you are still the saving God. And so, Lord, may we go out this week and serve you, for it's only the blood that cleanses us from sin. In Jesus' name I ask these things. Amen.